I don't know how effective this really is. You know, when I used to work in the West End of London, uh, there used to be a man standing in Trafalgar Square each day wearing a, a sandwich board just like this. Maybe it made some people think. You know, I couldn't help thinking, surely there's got to be some more productive use of his time. Those words come from 1 Peter 4, 7, where Peter says, The end of all things is near. Now, the Bible tells us that history belongs to God, right? It's his story. It's a story that has a beginning and it has an end. All of history is going somewhere. And the most significant, momentous, influential event to have ever taken place in the history of our world was the coming of Jesus Christ. His life, death and resurrection, his ascension and the pouring out of his spirit, right? With the coming of Jesus, the kingdom of heaven drew near. And the next momentous and in fact cataclysmic event that will happen in world history is when Jesus returns to judge the living and the dead. And that's when he will deal with all the evil and the injustice that's in the world and he will bring salvation and peace to all who are looking to him. It will be the beginning of a brand new story, as C.S. Lewis once said, the story of heaven on earth. And it's so it's why this whole era between Christ's coming and his return is known as the last days in the Bible. You know, we're living in the last days of history as we know it. So when Peter says the end of all things is near, he's not talking so much about the shortness of time because 2,000 years have since passed. He's talking about the fact that he is near. His appearing is imminent. And we don't know exactly when it will be. In fact, Jesus himself said we shouldn't try to speculate, but we should be prepared because it could be at any time. You know, what the Bible promises will happen at the end is already happening in significant measure around the world today. And so when we see these uh, global upheavals like this pandemic, it should alert us to the fact that his return could be at any time. So how are we meant to live in the light of that? You know, what should we be doing? Should we be wearing sandwich boards to warn people? What does Peter say in his letter? We're going to be taking a look at that a little later on. Uh, but first, let me give you the overview in advance, okay? Because he says essentially two things, that we should pray and that we should love. You know, there, there is no more important thing that we could be doing with our time, especially in these present days, than praying and loving. And in fact, the two uh, kind of go together, uh, because if we're going to love people in the way that Peter says here, as we'll see, then we need to pray, because we need God's help to love that like that. Not only that, but the New Testament says that in these last days, the love of many will grow cold. And so we need to pray for ourselves uh, that God would pour his love into our hearts. You know, may the church in these days be known for love above all else. You know, not for politics and principles and squabbling and arguing about freedoms and rights and goodness knows what else. No, right? As the end of all things draws near, 
may we be known above all else for reckless love. And of course, it's as we begin to pray for people and for our neighbours, for our cities, that we feel God's heart for the lost and for the broken. And that will lead us to then go and love them in practical ways. And of course, praying for people is one of the ways that we can love them. So we'll come back to what Peter says in a minute. But first of all, we're going to hear from one or two people about the love and support that they have received from others in our church during this difficult time. Uh, and then we'll have a song from Christy. First Peter 4, 7 to 11. The end of all things is near. Therefore be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Thanks, Margaret. Uh, Margaret's going to come back in a minute to share some concluding thoughts. So, in this passage of scripture, Peter is asking his listeners to think seriously about how they're spending their time in the light of the Lord's return. And to help us understand his line of thinking, you know, at the end of chapter 3, he talks briefly about baptism in water and how that speaks of our salvation. You know, we belong to the Lord now. So that means we should be living to do his will and not just living for ourselves. And that's what Peter goes on to say at the beginning of chapter 4. Um, he says that, you know, we used to live to gratify our own desires, uh, maybe partying and getting drunk and so on. But, you know, that's not who we are anymore. Right. So we don't have to join in with those who are still living it up like there's no tomorrow. No, we know there is a tomorrow, uh, that a day is coming when we will have to give an account for how we have lived our lives. And that day is drawing near, says Peter. The end of all things is near. Uh, so there should be a, a soberness, he's saying, to how we live our lives, because our lives count for something, right? They make a difference, um, not just for ourselves, but for others. And so instead of just aimlessly wasting time uh, living for ourselves, we need to be living for God and doing his work. And I suspect that Peter had in mind here what Jesus said in Mark chapter 13, where Jesus talked about the end times and that no one knows the day or hour of his return. But he said it's a bit like a man who goes away and leaves his servants in charge of his household. He puts them in charge of his business and he gives each one an assigned task and tells them to be ready for his return. And Jesus says, so be alert because you don't know when the owner of the house may come back. So watch and pray. 
That's what Peter is saying here. Be alert and pray. If we want our lives to count for something, then we need to be living for God. And that means we need to be praying because we understand that apart from him, we can do nothing. You know, we need God's strength. We need God's grace if we're going to live for him and do his will. Uh, and the people around us, they need God as well. You know, who's going to pray for them if we don't? You know, there's so much need, so much that is broken in our world. You know, things that uh, we may care very deeply about, but we've got to come to the realization that we cannot fix it. Only God can. And that's why we pray. You know, we pray because we recognize that any difference we're able to make, any good that we're able to do, any life we're able to help is only as a result of us receiving God's grace. And surely it's even more necessary that we are praying at this present time when there's so much to be concerned about. And so instead of fretting about things, let's take it to God in prayer. Instead of getting angry and upset over things, right, let's pray. The most important, the most influential thing that we could be doing right now is to pray. The end of all things is drawing near, says Peter, so make prayer a priority. So that's the first thing, praying. The second thing we need to be doing, he says, is, is loving, right? Loving one another and loving our neighbors. As we heard uh, earlier, uh, our dear, dear sister Charlene, uh, who went to be with her Lord this past week, she was such an example uh, to us in this. You know, so many people have written of her kindness, her generosity, uh, her sacrificial love in serving others. Uh, she certainly left her mark on our lives and she will be greatly missed, right? But let's follow her example, even as she sought to follow the Lord. You know, I'm so grateful for our church and, and the many ways in which love is being expressed to one another and to the wider community. But as Peter says here, let's make love, let's make that, right, the main thing. So what does Peter say then about love in this passage? Let's just take a look here. So in verse 8, he says here, above all, okay, above all else. So this is more important than anything else. Above all, he says, love each other deeply. Deeply. Just think about what that means. Uh, other translations say earnestly, fervently intensely love each other intensely what does that mean for you he says love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins so this kind of love is forgiving you know it, it forgives the offense how forgiving are you and you see that is why we need to pray because we need God's help to love like that, right? Because that kind of love, it costs, doesn't it? But we, you see, we remember what it costs the Lord to love us. In verse 9, Peter says here, love offers hospitality to one another without grumbling. So instead of complaining about people, we seek to meet their needs. That might mean we are inconvenienced. 
It might mean wearing a mask. You know, hospitality costs, especially when we reach out to people who are different to us, who, who may think differently to us. But again, we remember how when we were strangers, even enemies, how the Lord reached out to us. You know, love sacrificially reaches out to remove barriers between people. And in verse 10 here, Peter says that love means each of you should use whatever gift you've received to serve others. And that might mean speaking gifts, or it might mean serving gifts, Peter says. But in both, we have to pray for God's grace in order to be able to effectively bless the people that we are serving. You know, I'm so looking forward to when our church uh, starts to gather again on Sunday mornings, as some are already doing, uh, because these are the things that should characterize our gatherings, prayer and love. You know, when we gather together, it's a wonderful opportunity for putting these things into practice. You know, when Peter says there, use whatever gift you receive to serve others, the word he uses there for gift is the same word that's used to describe the supernatural gifts of the Spirit in 1 Corinthians 12. You know, gifts of healing and miracles, prophecy, uh, words of wisdom, tongues of interpretation, as well as the God-given gifts uh, in Romans 12, uh, gifts of leadership, gifts of encouragement, of teaching, uh, of serving, of giving, of mercy, uh, and so on. You know, some are speaking gifts, others are serving gifts, but they all need to be motivated by love as we seek to bless and to build others up. And that really should be one of the primary motivations for us gathering together, that we don't just gather to please ourselves, you know, for what we can get out of it. No, we do it for the sake of others. Um, we do it always mindful of other people, you know, asking God, Lord, would you use me today uh, to bless someone else? That might be like Megeba, you know, who I see going around, you know, giving personal uh, words of encouragement to people. Or it might be coming up to the mic to share uh, a word for everyone. Uh, maybe a scripture or a testimony or a revelation. It might be talking to a first-time guest to make them feel welcome. Or maybe sitting next to someone who would otherwise sit alone. Uh, maybe it's asking someone how they're doing and then taking the time to pray for them or doing something to meet their need. Sometimes it's us who's in need, you know. We come to the gathering and it's, uh, it's for us then to receive from someone else. But, you know, whether it's giving or receiving, you see, we're all strengthened. We're all blessed uh, because we're all part of the same body that is being built up. And what is the overarching reason why Peter says we need to do this? He says in verse 11, he says, So that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ, to him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. The end of all things is near, says Peter. So if the Lord were to return today, what do you think he would expect to find us doing? Praying and loving. That's got to be the main thing, right? If you want your life to count, 
is praying and loving. So let me just summarize then. Peter says the end of all things is near. So let's pray soberly. Let's love deeply. But let it be so that in all things, God is glorified. Amen. I'm going to have Margaret conclude now with some final thoughts about the importance of love. Hello, I'm here to share an impression I had several weeks back that God really wants the church to be praying to be filled with his love. So the Bible tells us God is love and so his very being is love and everything he does flows out from this love. His creation, every thought, every move he makes flows out of this love. And so that when he created man and woman out of this love, in his image, to love God, he's placed that wonderful love in us. Unfortunately, sin enters and mankind is separated from God. And at that point, man's perception of love changed from God-centered God-loving to self-centered, self-gratifying love. And we can see this throughout the Old Testament where God's people has failed him to love him over and over and over again, even though God showers upon them his grace and mercy. Now, because God is love, he does this most outrageous, unthinkable thing while the world was still sitting and not acknowledging him. And, and this is my description of God's love. It's John 3.16. For God so loved the world, he gave his only Son, so that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. This is our Father that sits above all, God, who is willing to give us his Son, so that our relationship will be restored. And this is the outrageous love that he has for us. And Jesus comes and he walks the earth and he shows us the way and he goes to the cross for us. And it's written that for the joy set before him, Jesus endures the cross. And so what was this joy that was set before him? It had to be love. And so Jesus is love as his Father is love. And this love is so strong that Jesus has this deep, profound joy, gave him pleasure to fulfill his Father's will out of his love for him and, and out of his love for us too. It gave him such joy that Becoming the sacrificial lamb would pay for our sins and restore a relationship with our Father forever. Forever. And that's the amazing love. Sacrificial, unconditional, perfected in Jesus for us. That's outrageous, unthinkable. But then I just, I wanted to tell you that before Jesus went to the cross, he, at the Last Supper, he tells the disciple, I give you a new commandment. And this new commandment, he said, to love one another 
as I have loved you, love one another. So by this, all the people will know that you are my disciples. Now, now John goes on to expand on this. And in 1 John 4, 7, which is entitled, God is Love, it says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. And I do want to encourage you to read through 1 John. And my, my, inter my short interpretation of this is that in Jesus, when we received him as our Lord and Savior, in Jesus, we have regained that love that we lost in the beginning. So that means that we now can love our Father, love Jesus with all our hearts, mind, strength, soul, body, and we can love our neighbors, we can love one another, and we can also say, for the joy set before us, we can lay our lives down for the sake of others. Why? Because this will glorify Jesus and the world would know that we are his disciples. It's a way to show God's love to the world that doesn't know this kind of love. It's, it's, we have an amazing calling and I believe that we, we can do it with, with the Holy Spirit in us. And so let's be praying for God to fill us with his love. Um, in 1 Corinthians, Paul says, 1 Corinthians 13, he says, without love, we gain nothing. And, and that's a very powerful statement. Without love, we gain nothing. So everything we do should come out of love. And as we meet in, in, in these small groups, it's the perfect setting to put into practice loving one another, um, serving each other, encouraging, exhorting, discipling, uh, helping the weak and the older people, and, and just really coming together as a body of Christ and ministering and showing the world the love of Jesus through our oneness. And this is for his glory. And, and the Bible says to consider what Jesus has done for us and so not to grow weary, to fight the good fight. We do have an enemy that wants to divide, destroy, and devour. 
And so we need to do this together. We need to come together. We need to build up the body of Christ, stand together, and do this for the glory of our Father and to the glory of our Lord and Savior. That's my message. Thank you.